Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am happy to have Robin Cole on the show. Robin Kathleen Cole is a dynamic shaman, energy healer, international teacher, channel, and licensed psychotherapist with a private practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She sees clients individually and does remote healing work with clients throughout the U.S., Europe, Asia, and the Caribbean. Robin began her journey into shamanism and the spirit world in the 80s when she began seeing spirits while working in the political field in California. After moving to Santa Fe, she obtained her master's degree in counseling and began studying shamanism, completing a three-year advanced shamanic training program with Michael Harner, author of The Way of the Shaman, and studies of well-known author Sandra Ingerman, including her teacher training. Um, there's there's more to a little bit about, well, I'll go ahead and just read this. During this time, Robin continued to see many spirits and received instruction from ancestors and ascended masters. Robin is descended from a line of powerful women seers and healers. At first, Robin resisted the shamanic path, but has since thoroughly embraced her gifts, her lineage, and her calling to this work. Robin loves being in service by helping people heal, come into their power, and become the best versions of themselves. Beautiful, beautiful um, bio. Welcome to the program, Robin. Thank you, Marla. I'm happy to be here. So good to have you. So I think we all resist in a way um, when we start down this path because you have to really learn to trust, you know, it's just like the blue road and the medicine wheel going from faith to trust to surrender. And I know that's what I've done. And, and it's, you know, it's a beautiful path that can take a while. So let's just jump right in. So tell us about your background descending from a lineage of female healers. And then how did you begin this shamanic work? Oh my well, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't realize that my family was unusual or that my uh, there were psychic and healing abilities. We knew my mom was a super psychic and only in the, to the extent that she could tell the phone would ring and she always knew who it was. And um, she just knew things. She You could never lie to my mom. We used to say she should be a detective. But it wasn't until many years later that... Um, my grandmother appeared to me and I was in the car driving from Santa Fe to Albuquerque and it was my mother's mother uh, who came from Lebanon and she appeared to me in the car and I could see her her head was right above the steering wheel and I could see her as clearly as I see you Marla and what she told me is she said that she had the gifts and that my mom had the gifts 
and it was time to pass them on to me. And unconsciously, I just turned my hands over on the steering wheel, just on top like that, and I saw golden light pour into my hands. And she said, I'm passing on to you the gifts from all the women in our lineage since the beginning of time. And I asked, what are the gifts? And she said, you'll find out. <laughs> And I did. I d did subsequently wow. find out. Um, and I know my grandmother was a seer and a healer as well. And I've since done shamanic work and it came, it flowed through her lineage. Beautiful. Well, so m many people, of course, see spirit when they're very young. But so this happened to you when you were a little bit, a little bit older. The conscious seeing. Yes, the conscious seeing, yes. I was told that when I was young and, you know, I would be talking to obviously spirits and be told, you know, there's no one there. Who are you talking to? Right, right. So do you feel that that children are all from from the many interviews I've done, I've come to understood that really all children are before you know they, they kind of are indoctrined into the world can see spirit and are very open and we actually we we all know that but do you feel that doing the work that you're doing that's usually from a lineage that's been passed down that's a hard question though because some people are not conscious of that lineage right mm -hmm. so who said the other day that if you look back far enough you're going to find a shaman in your family <laughs> maybe so and either you come from a lineage or you're called to it yes mm -hmm. yes yeah. and many are called to it and they right. study and right but but you weren't called you didn't feel like you were called to it because a, a big tragedy happened or anything in your or a transformation it just happened yeah i was working in the political field at the time in california i was a contractor well that's pretty tragic <laughs> <laughs> well yes and no <laughs> depends on who you ask i guess yeah yeah but what happened is i start the veil started to thin and i started to see spirits and it was a little scary. And actually, the very first one I saw was maybe when I was about 30 years old. And I had just gotten to bed. I was lying down. And at the foot of my bed was an angel with red hair. Very, very red hair and blue eyes and beautiful creamy, milky skin. And the hair was wavy about to her chin. And I actually poked my eyes like this. Like, Am I really imagining this am I crazy am I seeing something and she just stood there and I didn't have my clear audience didn't hear anything and then three weeks late and then she left she was there maybe 30 seconds and then she was gone and three weeks later I happened to be in Washington DC in business and I was in an art gallery in uh, Georgetown it was the first gallery I actually walked into and what do you think I saw? A painting of an angel with wings and red hair. Mm -hmm. And wow. I knew that was spirit's way of validating for me that what I saw was real. It wasn't, I wasn't making it up. It was an actual visitation. And I bought that angel painting and it still hangs uh, in my home. Nice. And then it wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't until many years later that the veil really was thinning and I began to have visitations and see beings right mm -hmm. wow so how did that 
so it took a while for you to really start with shaman. Well, how did you go from that? I mean, what a surprise. And you began to embrace it. And then, I mean, sometimes mediums, you know, um, they don't necessarily segue into shamanism. That's for sure. So how did that all come about? Well, I didn't embrace it at all. I <laughs> I was avoiding it. In fact, I ran away from it for many years. So at the time, I'd been a total of 16 years in the California legislative po political field. And I thought, it's time to hang up my hat. And at that time, I just met my husband and we were going to get ma married. And we did. We got married. We had a baby and we decided to leave California and to move to Santa Fe. But in part, in confession, I was really running away from seeing spirits. And the cosmic joke was on me because I moved yeah. to a place, the wrong place to <laughs> yes, go you did. seeing spirits. Right. So when I came here um, as newly married with a baby, the floodgates opened. I just began seeing like crazy and I, I really fought it. I resisted it for a wow. long time. What did you share this with your husband and your friends or how did Not that work? Friends, I shared it with my husband to who's now my ex, but we're friends yeah. but to a certain degree. And, you know, he knew that it was true, but he doesn't walk in that world. So he didn't understand. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So then you started studying shamanism and how did that come about? Actually, I went to get my master's first. I decided I want to do something that is heart centered, that's going to be beneficial to do something positive for the world, because certainly I didn't feel that my contributions in the political arena were doing much mm. to improve the, the state of the world. So I went back and got my master's and the, the sights continued, you know, I continued to have visions like I'd be sitting in a classroom and one of my aunts who is deceased appeared right in the classroom and began speaking to me and I could see her again like I can see you and she gave me a message and no one else could see her and then I was working in a dyad with someone and I remembered I could see an energetic knife in his back and I asked him does your back hurt and he said it's killing me and I just simply asked him there's an energetic knife in the in your back can I remove it and he told me I, I just put my hand into the back and pulled it out. I didn't know what I was doing, but he told me he had had a big fight with his girlfriend and that's why he had an energetic knife in his back wow. and his back pain went away. So um, when I began my counseling practice, that's really when I started studying shamanism because I noticed that while I was with a client, things would come out of my mouth and I didn't even know how, how I knew certain things. And then I began asking at the end of a session if they wanted to have a complimentary clearing, you know, just an energy clearing. I honestly, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was clearing their energy field and I'd always been interested in, in the esoteric. So I began yeah. doing this clearing with no training and they felt great, but I began getting sick. And that's when I realized if I'm going to be serious about this, I better get some training. And that's when I embarked in Michael Harner's three-year. You know, yeah, that's a big program. Sandra Ingerman's programs. Um, I, and I fought it for so long because I didn't want to be a kook. Having come from the corporate political right. world, I didn't want to, I didn't aspire to be a shaman. I didn't aspire to be a healer. I didn't want to do any of that. I never even thought about it. 
interesting. So do you call yourself a shaman or shamanic practitioner? Because I know it's kind of a buzz thing out there because you think of the shaman as, you know, years and years and years from Colombia or somewhere. So what, how do you perceive the work that you do? It's a great question. In my heart, I know I am a shaman. I'm mm -hmm. a healer. And I use the term very carefully and cautiously and respectfully because I know, especially living in the Southwest, that it carries a charge. Right. You know, there are individuals that might think that that is a term that is solely and should be in the realm of the indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm cautious. And right, right. Um, I understand that. Yes, because I know Rick Olson, who we talked about before we hit the record button, and his interview's coming out actually Thursday in a few days. And he also was brought in a very unusual way to shamanism and was told that he was a past shaman and it's time to do the work now, just like you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that it's brought to you, you know, that you know that that you are truly, truly a shaman. But, but anyway, not to get into the nomenclature or anything, it's, it's just interesting that it must be hard sometimes for you because some people are running around calling themselves shamans. I mean, they're truly not. And so that's, that's a bit difficult, but I think people know when it's the real deal. So, um, so you say your healing practice blends shamanic techniques and ancestral work. Um, what what does that mean? Well, that's just part of the shamanic healing, right? Right. Many aspects, but when there's an ancestral piece, as we know, there are energies and issues um, that can run through ancestral lineages. For example, issues of abuse, um, mm -hmm. violence, anger, rage. Um, sometimes those flow through an entire lineage uh, with certain lineages, especially with women. I have seen that the lineage goes back where there's disempowerment, where there's submissiveness, feeling that they're not entitled, um, you know, goes back to many, many life, many, many generations, I should say. Right. And there's still quite a bit of a strong patriarchy throughout the world. So it's a matter of healing the lineage so that the individual, my client who's with me, can break the chains, break the cycles or the patterns, whether it's abuse or submissiveness, being afraid to embrace one's own power. Is that where the soul retrieval comes in? It can, but soul retrieval is a shaman's response to dealing with soul loss. And yes. everyone on this planet has soul loss, unless mm -hmm. you're a bodhisattva or an ascended master. And soul loss is something that I do in most all of my shamanic healing sessions. It's, you know, shamanism is all about wholeness and it's about bringing people into balance and wholeness and equilibrium and retrieving those lost aspects of ourselves and bringing them back. Yeah. So how does that look when a client walks into your to, it's probably not an office. It's probably a beautiful sanctuary. And, and yes. Um, so can you just take us step by step through how that kind of the atmosphere, the set and setting, let's say, which is so important. Sure. 
when someone comes to me, I tell them right away, I come from the place that I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. My only goal is to be a clear and open channel for divine healing. And when, um, and I always ask a client what he or she hopes to have from the healing, if there's anything particular that's presenting that they want to have addressed. And then I scan the body with my eyes and I see the aura. I can see how the energy is moving through the body, can see where the blocks are. And interestingly, I'm very kinesthetic in my body. So I, when I start moving into someone's energy field, I feel the energies in my body. So for example, if someone has a lot of heart pain, it'll be hard for me to breathe. I'll feel the yeah. energy in my heart. And then I'll receive guidance from my allies, the compassionate, benevolent beings that work with me. They'll tell me what my client most needs for his or her highest and best healing. And usually it's two or more healing modalities. It might be a combination of soul retrieval and power retrieval. That's quite common. And then I like to explain thoroughly to the client what what they can expect in a session and what a soul retrieval means because it's not a term that everyone's familiar with. Mm -hmm. And I want my clients to be very comfortable with knowing exactly what's going to happen in the session. And I, I don't do an intake form. I don't want to know the client's life story and traumas. When I do soul retrieval, I tell them I like to fly blind because my intention is to retrieve whatever lost soul parts are not only ready and willing to be returned to the client that day, but the one or ones that will most significantly improve their healing in whatever form that takes. Mm -hmm. So then I, I say prayers on the client's behalf. I call in the directions, four directions and above and below, so six. I say prayers and asking all the beautiful beings that work with me to come into the space for my client's highest healing. And then I scan their body with my hands and I can feel, I get another reading. It's another way of doing a reading on the client's body to see how their energy is moving, to see where the blocks are, what the issues are. And then I work in an altered state of consciousness to do the healing work, whether it's soul retrieval, power retrieval, ancestral healing, whatever. Wow. So Reverend, how do you feel about, you did talk therapy, therapy for quite a, quite a long time. Um, I assume before you started the shamanic, shamanic. Yeah. Yeah. And where does that, now that you've seen what the shamanic healing can do, and I mean, I know in my soul retrieval, there wasn't a ton of talking, even though there was a bit of an intake before, um, Obviously, there's a place for talk therapy, just like there's a place for pharmaceuticals, right? But right. can you just elaborate a little bit on how you feel now that you did more of that and now you're doing more shamanic healing and just to give a person a little bit of an idea of, you, of, you know, the difference and that sort of thing? Well, I think there's definitely a place for both. You know, yeah. when we think about our health and mental health system in the Western world, we've got doctors who work on the body physical and lots of complementary physicians, acupuncturists and chiropractors, and then psychologists, psychiatrists, and psychotherapists are working on the mental and the emotional bodies. But shamans have been working with the soul, you mm. know, for 40,000 years. And I think we have to take a holistic perspective and, and use all of those tools in helping someone achieve wholeness. So for an example, you know, with shamanic healing, I call it a lot of soul healing. And I do weave, weave, we talk, you know, with the, the work as a follow up. So an example, just this morning, I did soul retrieval on someone, first a first time client. And 
there were three soul parts that came in and there was a memory that was ignited in one of the soul parts and it was oh that's when i was a child at a particular age and she was sick and didn't want to be a burden on her mother or her family and that is a theme that's run through her entire life of not wanting to be a burden, burden. therefore she's made herself really small so this is where a follow-up if you know one chooses to do that and talk about how that's presented how that imprint at a very young age has imprinted her entire life keeping herself small because she doesn't want to be a burden does that make sense that absolutely ab ab mm -hmm. absolutely what about psychedelics do you, do you do you use that because i work with a i have a shamanic teacher and in his um in his work traditions, they, they never used any sort of psychedelics, but I know a lot of like, especially in Peru and those places, they do use, you know, different things. What about in your tradition? I don't use any in my practice. Yes. I can achieve very, very altered states of consciousness for deep healing without using any kind of psychotropic medicine. Right, right. What do you think about all the research is coming out on psychotropic I, medicine. I applaud it. I think it's wonderful. I'm mm. a believer and lover of plant medicine. And a lot of times clients will ask me about it. And my only response is I have great respect and honor um, for the plant medicine and its efficacy at opening up windows and doors inside of us. But people need to be very careful and cautious uh, utilizing plant medicine to select a shaman or an ayahuasquero who is really the real deal right. and who approaches it from a very sacred place and creating sacred space you know um, in small groups so you really want to choose the right setting and the right person to administer any kind of psychotropic medicine mm -hmm. but i'm a believer in plant medicine yes right. so how would one go about finding the right person to go to if they wanted to do something like that because so many people are searching for these for that these it's, days it's word of mouth it really mm -hmm. is and trusting your intuition trusting your intuition is that person and the setting the location the timing is right right i mean i think we all have to exercise a lot of caution and a lot of discernment when doing that because i've personally seen people that have had bad experiences right so Robin when you um have studied with Michael Harner and Sandra Engelman who are two of the top in the field um how did you and I know Sandra does some journeying with children even though really in shamanism they don't suggest that because children journey on their own all the time anyway but first of all, can you describe what a journey, what a journey is for my listeners that haven't heard of that term? And then how do you feel that we could use some of this, the, these modalities to help our very young, to strengthen them for later in life? Mm -hmm. Great question. First of all, a journey is, um, it's the it's an ancient art. It's learning how to move into an altered state of comp uh, an altered altered state of consciousness, with the assistance of a drum or a rattle or didgeridoo. And what scientists now understand about why shamans have used these musical instruments is that the steady sound of any percussion instrument 
takes the brain waves from alpha into theta state of consciousness. So I have worked with children um, quite a bit. And in fact, before I was doing shamanic healing, I did work with children in the public schools. But as a shamanic healer, I've worked with children, for example, um, giving them power, bringing power to children, retrieving a power ally for them. Children who were bullied in schools mm. uh, or teased a great deal or have a lot of anxiety. A power retrieval is a very desirable healing modality to do for them. And it gives them a greater sense of confidence and self-assurance. What is a power, power retrieval? It's retrieving more power for, <laughs> um, for an individual. So just as in Christian and Judaic religions, there's a belief that we're all born with guardian angels. And I do believe that. But shamans have historically worked with everything in the nature kingdom, believing that everything is, is alive and real. And shamans believe that when we're all born, we're born with a guardian or a guide. It just doesn't come in the form of an angelic presence. It comes from the nature kingdom as a four-legged, a winged one, or a being of the waters. And that being is with you throughout your life, as we can call it a totem, a guardian, an ally. So a power retrieval is bringing additional power. And power has nothing to do with aggression or, you know, aggression or um, oomph, as we tend to think of in the Western world. It's an absolute healing modality. It's bringing you additional an ally, a guardian, a guide to help you in whatever way you need assistance. So that goes along with a power animal because we all have our power animal. I call them power allies and power retrieval because they're not always an animal. It could right, be a weak right. one, it could be a being of the waters, could be a tree or the stones, the rocks, the minerals. It could be just about anything. And it might mm -hmm. be a two-legged, an ancestor, a native shaman, medicine man or woman a deity from any religious background or any one of the gods or goddesses, they're all very real and alive. Wow. So I, I use the term power ally and power retrieval. And then where do you, what do you do after that? Let's say a child comes in and I'm sure if they're pretty young, your parents are with them and you find the power ally and explain that. Then what, what do you ask the child? Can you just walk me through how you explain to the child to use it in the future when they when it's needed? Well, I, I let, first of all, it depends upon the age of the child, yes. whether the child is in my presence or it's remote. But if a child's, you know, at an, an age that I'm thinking 10 years old, for example, I will tell him or her, bring that power ally. Let's say it's a whale. And I'm thinking about very specifically a young, uh, a boy that I worked with years ago. He was 10 years old and he was horrifically bullied in the school. And I brought in a power ally for him and it turned out it was um, a whale. And I don't remember if it was a blue whale or a sperm whale. He loved that and I told him he can move inside the whale or bring the whale inside of his body when he's at school. That boy went on um, and he's long since graduated from college now, but he became a 4.0 student and went on to an Ivy League school on the East Coast. Did really well, and the bullying the bullying stopped. He was able to handle it. Right. But when you say have the whale there with you or bring it inside of you, do you suggest that like he talks to it or just 
knows that energy is there or what does a 10 year old how do you explain that to it well how do you explain it to me (laughs) their imagination is already so ignited if you tell a child move into the whale they know like that how to their imagination can move them into the whale right right. invite the whale into your body they know how to do that Mm -hmm. interesting Mm-hmm. Did you have you learned in your studies much about how indigenous cultures help their children in a way that we could learn from just in everyday living? Well, while I am not directly connected with indigenous children, but what I know about the cultures and how they vary from ours, our children in the Western world, especially here in the U.S., are so and trained to focus on performance in schools. Mm -hmm. Everything is geared toward test scores and getting into the right schools. And there's a lot of anxiety among kids, also achieving and overachieving and performing at sports. And with the indigenous cultures, there's there isn't that focus. They don't have the the test scores that they have to achieve and, and the focus on getting into the right colleges or getting a scholarship for athletics. Um, they focus more on the being, the whole being. Um, there's also, I think, encouragement of the creative use yes. of the brain, creativity, and the connectedness with the nature, with Mother Earth, and all that is. So they're more being while we're more doing. Right. And the mentors that they have, right? Because mm-hmm. so many parents and caregivers and so many of us are so busy doing also and that's what the you know that's what the children see and and in those cultures i might say that those kids have the extended families oftentimes exactly grandparents are living with them and they they pass on their wisdom and our in our country families are more fragmented yeah we don't have that same cohesion and i think something gets lost for children in that yeah not in it not enough initiations and so what do you what would you suggest to people who are listening to this and they want to bring some rituals or ceremonies or some beautiful things into let's say they have six seven eight year olds or younger and they want to bring these into the home once again to give children um, not only the opportunity to use their imagination and their these gifts that they they already have but also once again to give them some inner strength oh there's so much that can be said on it <laughs> go for it okay <laughs> um, the first thing that's coming to me because i did teach anger management in the public schools mm. it's about teaching children to be in touch with their bodies to listen to what their bodies are saying to them at all times because our bodies are always giving us signs and symbols and signals. So for example, if a child has, a a child goes to school and says, I have a tummy ache or I have a sore throat, I have a headache, that child is sent to the school nurse. Actually, the teacher sends the child to the nurse, the child gets sent home, and oftentimes that child isn't really sick. Maybe that child, maybe mom um, yelled at the child that morning. Maybe dad's drunk and in jail the night before, mm-hmm. or mom has a boyfriend and the boyfriend's beating up on mom. So the, I think we need to teach our children how to read their bodies and how to express what's going on. I also worked with children who were um, 
suspended from junior high and high school in the public schools. And I realized, and I want to talk first about the kindergarten, eight, eight different public schools. I would go into kindergartens and, say, and ask, is it okay to be angry? And 24 heads would go, no. So why not? It's, it's just a feeling. We can't help how we feel, but we can help what we do with uh, that anger. We right. want to make sure we express it in a constructive way without hurting ourselves, hurting other people, hurting animals or personal property. And then fast forward, and it took several weeks to undo that and to teach them to get in touch with their feelings and be able to express them. But fast forward, when I was working with children who were suspended from the public schools, and these are the kids who are angriest and the meanest and coming to school with guns and knives, right? And, and I would say, you weren't born angry little baby girls and boys. You were born these beautiful babies, and things happened to you that caused you to be angry. And these are the kids that, you know, if they weren't allowed to be angry, everything was stuffed in them, mm -hmm. never allowed. And so it's going to come out in very unsavory ways. So I, I really think it's important for parents, for everyone to teach, and, and adults need this too, permission exactly. to, to understand what's going on in my body. What am I really feeling? Because, and I see this with women a lot too. We're taught to be the caretakers, the givers, and the nurturers, and to ignore our own needs because that's deemed selfish or self-centered or self-absorbed. So one is body awareness. And the other one is connectivity, that everything we do, everything we say, even what our thoughts are affecting everything in the field, is affecting each other, and I taught some of this too in the schools. It's affecting each other. And then to have respect for the Mother Earth. Yes, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So when these kids recognize, or adults, recognize what's going on in their body and they recognize it as anger, what do you then suggest they do with that? Oh, lots like a of ritual. Creative outlet or okay, yes. rituals. I love using ritual because it's it's been used since the beginning of time in mm -hmm. most all the ancient cultures. And we've largely lost the ability to work with ritual. I mean, there are certain rituals that are still part of our society, the easy ones to think about, baptism, mm -hmm. um, marriage, and really yeah. <laughs> death. And you know, wait. Yes. Um, but there's a number of rituals. I like working with the elements in nature, water, earth, and fire specifically to help release in a very constructive and yet powerful way. Mm -hmm. I could go on about those rituals. Yes. And, and with kids, you know, I would have kids um, write out, you know, writing is just a form of a ritual. You write everything that you're angry about. And with kids, I would say, and use any language you want. And it doesn't matter what the grammar is. And they love that. And then, um, of course, if in a public school, we couldn't burn it. If I'm doing it privately, we can suggest yes. burning it, but I'd have them cut it with scissors or crumble it up in a paper and throw it and stomp on it. It's getting the energy out. You know, anger is just energy. And one yeah. of the principles of the universe is that energy has to move. So if energy is if the energy is anger and it's inside you, it has to move out. And if it's not moving out, where is it moving? It's right. moving in. And this can cause disturbance and even illness later in life. Yeah. So I like to work with ritual. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So Robin, I feel that like there's a transformation taking place in the world right now. Do you do you feel that way? And do your guides tell you tell you oh, this? Oh my gosh, yes, indeed. I mean, we are living in the most exciting time in the history of this earth, bar none. Um, it's a momentous time in the history. We're moving into a whole new evolutionary process as not only the earth herself, but humankind that has never before been seen in the history. And we're living in times that were prophesied by the ancient ones thousands and thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is a momentous time, but it's also a time with great challenges and it's not easy. And I think one of the things I see a lot of people in the field are full of fear. They're anxious. They're coming undone um, because they're destabilized and the energies are destabilized right now. And my advice to people is to remember that there is a great intelligence at work at all times. And through all this chaos is going to come order and it's going to be eventually better than it's ever been. But it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ever get any idea of Will this be decades or, or, or kind of a time frame? It all depends on how quickly people waken, you know, how, how soon they can wake up. But my guides have been telling me for quite some time now, there's a recipe for how we can survive these times. One is to eat really clean organic food and drink enough pure water, to be outside in nature as much as possible meditate, pray, be in community with like-minded people that you love and care about. And um, let's see, there are a couple of other things. Besides the meditation and prayer, do your inner work. My guides have said this repeatedly, meaning we need to clean out the old traumas. This is not a time to try to keep everything in. So the more we can move in and clean out the old woundings, the old anger, resentment, sorrow, grief, pain, heartache, whatever it is, the more we release that, the more we create room for the new energies in our body because we're moving from carbon-based human beings to crystalline beings mm -hmm. to reclaim our divinity. And in order to do that, we have to release the karma and the trauma. This has been a big, big thing that my guides have counseled um, and spoken to my clients about for, a long, for the past two years. Wow. Well, I think that's a great message to wrap this up today. <laughs> so thank you so much. And if people want to find you, how would they do that? I have a website, sacredshamanichealing.com. They can reach me through that. There's a contact, robinkathleencole at gmail.com. And my phone number, 505-690-0671. Mm, that's so sweet. I don't think I've ever had anybody give out their phone number before. <laughs> well, some people, you know, there's lots of people. And I just had a client this morning on the phone. She said, I don't do email. Yes. Yes, so, I know. You know, the phone, the good old fashioned phone. Yep, good old fashioned phone. I love it. Well, thank you so much and so much to absorb and think about. And just really appreciate you coming today. And I, your work is Thank you for doing all this work for the world. You're welcome. And Marla, it's been a delight to meet you. <laughs> it's so much fun to be on this uh, podcast. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, you have a good rest of the day, and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Okay. Take okay. care. Thank you, you again. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.
Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.